This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Thursday afternoon, August 31st, another month almost in the books. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. The next big double day for movie releases will feature Taylor Swift and Satan. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, fresh numbers on consumer prices and jobless claims are out in a day we're hearing from the president of the Atlanta Fed. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is Andrew Bush, former chief markets intelligence officer at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and economic futurist at andrewbush.com based in Chicago. Andy, thank you for joining us today. Before we talk about the new numbers that were released this morning, let's talk about some uh, new statements from a member of the Federal Reserve Board, the president of the Atlanta Fed, uh, laying out the case that maybe we've reached a pause in uh, the the cycle of hiking interest rates and that we've now entered the uh, higher for longer era. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to be there for a while. I don't think the Fed's going to cut interest rates anytime soon. Um, just one caveat, Bostic's not a, a voting member of the board of the FOMC right now. Um, there are alternatives for Atlanta because uh, that's where he's from. But it's still important to hear what they have to say. And I would offer that I think they are really the members, everybody that's associated with FOMC and the Fed are telling people, look, we're probably going to pause next month. Um, or at a next meeting. So that's not going to be a surprise. What's going to be a surprise to me and to the markets is how long we're going to stay at these interest rates, because we're not even close to being where we need to be if you're going to meet the 2% target that the Fed has set for inflation. Now, let's talk about that 2% target, because we have uh, two uh, bits of information, two data points out this morning that uh, talks about the progress in terms of getting to that 2% target. Let's talk with, about the uh, the PCE, uh, the Personal Consumption Expenditures Index, and that shows that inflation is slowing down, despite the fact that consumer spending in a separate report is picking up on a month-over-month basis. So how do we square these two uh, data points? Right. So you got to look at core PCE, that's ex food and energy. And that actually went up to 4.2%. And that's really what the Fed looks at. They, they don't look at, the, I mean, they kind of look at the headline number, but they really tell us and have told us for some time, it's core PCE that matters to them. That's double the inflation rate. And, it, and it's getting sticky at this point. It's going to be hard for it to go down from here. Unlike the past months where it dropped pretty quickly, it's going to be sticky at these levels. And we know that because of labor inflation and other things. As far as the spending goes, that doesn't surprise me at all, because we know that consumers spend a lot of money on services like travel, hotels, you know, going out, Taylor Swift concerts, you name it. Uh, they spend it there. It's a question of what happens from here. And to me, I think we're, we're at the edge of where the consumer is going to start to pull back. 
You see that in some of the data when it comes to excess savings by consumers that were almost through the $2.1 trillion of excess savings that were built up during COVID and the stimulus checks. That's been drawn down by about $1.8 trillion, according to the San Francisco Fed. So I think going forward, it's going to be tough to maintain these these high levels of spending. And then very quickly on the uh, jobless claims front, uh, they are ticking down. At the same time, the quits rate is also going down as well. We learned that earlier in the week. So are we in this situation as far as the labor market is concerned where the arms race and maybe the compensation race is over, but companies do not feel comfortable uh, letting employees go because they're not sure they will get them back when the time comes? I think that's a great point, and that's certainly what's been going on ever since uh, companies have been able to get some workers, especially tech workers. But I would also point to the temp uh, survey that came out by the BLS saying that temp workers are down now for six months in a row. That's typically led and told us when a a recession is. All the labor data that I see is starting to slow significantly. The jobless claims is is a little bit different, but I think tomorrow's numbers for unemployment, I don't think we're going to see 200,000 jobs created. I, my guess is if we're at 150, that would be a, a, a big win, but I think that's going to be it, and I think we'll see that decline going forward. Andrew Bush, former Chief Markets Intelligence Officer at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. A concert film of Taylor Swift's incredibly popular Eras Tour is hitting theaters on October 13th, and that's the same day of the highly anticipated horror movie The Exorcist Believer debuts. Let's discuss Exorswift. Oh, they already have a name for it with Tom Layson, media analyst based in Seattle. Find him on Twitter at Tom Layson. Tom, thank you for joining us today. Is this this the way forward for the movie industry as they try to bring people back into the theater? Is that uh, everyone is going to try and find their their new Barbenheimer? Um, I don't think that this was done intentionally at all. Um, to, to say that Extra Swift is some kind of a grand scheme cooked up by the um, you know by the movie industry to to re-stimulate traffic, I think is a bit of a reach. But what I will say is that you know let's face it, this Taylor Swift movie um, is going to do big bucks. It's going to be shown at AMC, Regal, Cinemark, and you know the theater stocks rose on that news. The Exorcist, a follow-up to a 1973 classic, um, that'll do a certain amount of box office too, although probably a little bit more of a narrow a narrow audience there. I frankly don't see Taylor's camp promoting this real hardcore, to be honest, but she's going to have to embrace it a little bit with hashtag ExtraSwift um, just to prove, if nothing else, she's a good sport. Frankly, uh, I would say that the ticket sales operators are probably the ones who are going to need an exorcism when the fans crash the servers. On that. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, just the, uh, the 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 great deal of interest in purchasing tickets for the uh, Taylor Swift Eras Tour when it uh, arrived in Chicago in June. I mean, it, it crashed the Ticketmaster server. There were thousands of people standing outside of Soldier Field just to listen to the concert by people who could not get in. And they're also striking while the iron is hot. I mean, the typical concert movie is released a, a long time or maybe a year or so after the tour. Uh, in this case, it's still going on internationally when it arrives in theaters in the States. Oh, yeah. The concert did a billion dollars and this movie may do another billion. Who knows? You know, Barbenheimer was a bit of a surprise that grossed $2 billion combined so far. And, you know, we've talked about this in the past, the sort of secular decline of theater going. Some are saying maybe this signals a comeback, and I think that's what you gestured at with your original question. 
Um, you know, we, we, we like these new items. They hit big unexpectedly. But this summer, we also went to see things that are very familiar, like Mission Impossible and Top Gun, Guardians of the Galaxy. So some, some hits are happening. Um, I think it was a long, hot summer, which might have driven some people into the cool of the theaters. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what this trend, uh, how this trend goes. We're talking to Tom Layson, media analyst based in Seattle. I did joke about the uh, the possibility of, of, of movie studios and the Hollywood promotion machine, machine trying to find their own equivalent to Barbenheimer going forward. But I, there was an interesting point that was raised about how does media differentiate itself now that we live in this time of abundance and everyone's struggling to, uh, to adapt to this era. It's one of the things underpinning the Hollywood strikes. And they said that the thing that Taylor Swift is kind of figured out and the reason why her tour is so successful is that it's not just a concert it's an event and if you miss the event you have extreme fear of missing out and that is one way if you can leverage your taylor swift sized celebrity to break through in this era when you have limitless possibilities of things to entertain you oh absolutely i think there is a fomo element involved with Taylor Swift. She's got 100 million followers on X, and not all those folks can get to a concert. So there's built-in uh, scarcity right from the jump on that. And I think that, um, you know, that is part of her secret sauce. Um, let's face it, she could get elected president right now. And I think the, the you know, the, the producers of this concert film understand that. But I would say, you know, if, if the momentum can be kept, we've got some nice stuff coming up here in the fall. Um, you know, Labor Day sort of ends the summer movie season, but look what's coming. We got the Equalizer 3 that's coming this weekend. And this fall, what I'm looking forward to, Ridley Scott's Napoleon is coming along with Killers of the Flower Moon. Go ahead and invent a hashtag for that one. So, you know, maybe Taylor has kind of got this idea of keeping some momentum and, and maybe the industry will keep a little momentum too, especially with the writer's strike. Um, happening where um, streaming is going to be producing less fresh content. So it may be a little bit of a perfect storm here. And then very quickly, Tom, I mean, my question is, I mean, she's already has a great deal of esteem as an artist. She is a commercial blockbuster, just phenomenon. People are going to see the Taylor Swift era's concert movie, but will it be as good as Stop Making Sense, the Talking Heads movie, or will it be a classic uh, like The Last Waltz about the band? I mean, the question is, is not, uh, is it going to be a hit, but is it going to be a critical success as well? Um, you know, who, who knows? Um, you know, there's several axes upon which to judge that. You can look at that from a pr production perspective, or you can look at it in terms of the reception and the critical acclaim of her music, um, which varies, although she is considered to be a very good lyricist and storyteller. So uh, that'll be interesting to see if it becomes a classic, if, uh, you know, it's up there with Woodstock. But, you know, I, I make that comment tongue in cheek. But really, when you look at the numbers behind it and the percentage of the population in that fan base that that is worried about FOMO, it very well could be this generation's Woodstock. I mean, I, I say that facetiously, but um, maybe not. Tom Layson, media analyst in Seattle. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next, playing the algorithm game when you're looking for a job. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. 
Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast your best stock option this is the wbbm noon business hour when you're looking for a job your profile on linkedin and other sites could make or break your chances let's get some insight from michelle reisdorf chicago jobs expert at robert half in chicago michelle thank you for joining us today when looking for a job i if you want to come up with a percentage point basis how important is linkedin in finding that next job as opposed to just going out there and meeting people for coffee face to face it's 100% important. Um, you know, in the day and age of all of the technology and social sites, um, clients are definitely looking at every avenue when considering hiring a candidate, including LinkedIn. A friend of mine uh, who went through a job search a couple of years ago said it was an awful lot like dating, where uh, you just go, <laughs> you, you put your profile out there and, and you try to find the correct match. And sometimes uh, it happens right away and sometimes it can be a long and frustrating search. But uh, as far as looking for a job is concerned, is your LinkedIn profile your dating profile? Well, it's definitely a profile that will be reviewed in the process. I know I myself as an employer, when I get a resume, I always go look at their LinkedIn profile as well because I will see, see things like skills or endorsements. 
um, maybe some extra additional information that might not be on the resume and or will verify what's on the resume. And so it is definitely an additional source that I as an employer always consider. We're talking to Michelle Reisdorf, Chicago jobs expert with Robert Half in Chicago. So let's say you are in the process of uh, starting or you are looking for a job right now and maybe you haven't really maintained or curated your LinkedIn profile in a little while. Uh, what are some things you can do to get it into fighting shape? Well, you definitely want to sit down and just think about all of the different roles, positions, achievements, certifications that you have gotten uh, most recently and make sure that is updated on your LinkedIn profile. I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is they go out and b- build that profile, but they never go out and update it again. And that should be a living, breathing profile for you that constantly gets updated as you take on new challenges, learn new skills, et cetera. Now, let, let's say you are a, a skilled practitioner at whatever it is you're trying to do, but uh, the LinkedIn profile isn't nearly as eye-catching. It may be an old picture. You don't even have an avatar picture. It's just that uh, blank background. Uh, as someone who is looking at LinkedIn profiles as part of your job search, uh, what does that tell you? It tells me that details are not important to you. So I will say it's one of the first things I look at is whether or not someone has taken the time to upload a picture. It's simple, but it's part of the entire profile process. I also look to see when's the last update they've made, what's the most recent information. And so, again, I cannot stress living, breathing profile enough in that it it should just have continuous improvements because we're always learning new skills or talking to new people. Um, The endorsement piece, also so, so important because it really validates that you have the skills that you say you do. Michelle Reisdorf, Chicago jobs expert with the Robert Half Company in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Still ahead in Technology Thursday, cyber safety tips that can help parents protect their kids. This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. A crash in the Chicago suburbs leaves two high school students dead. The latest numbers on unemployment assistance show a drop off in applications. In Technology Thursday, keeping helping keep children safe from cyber danger. And new data shows thieves are most often targeting sports cars and pickup trucks. WBBM Business. The markets are mixed. The Dow is down 12 points. The Nasdaq is up 54. The S&P 500 is up 8. 74 degrees right now in Chicago under sunny skies going to a pleasant 78 today. Cooler by the lakefront. It's 1231. Topping our news at the half hour. A collision involving a truck and a car in Bartlett this morning has left two students from South Elgin High School dead. It happened around 7 o'clock at the intersection of Illinois Route 25 and Kenyon Road. One girl was pronounced dead at the scene, the other at a hospital. Two other teenagers and the driver of the truck are being treated for injuries and are expected to survive. The number of Americans filing for unemployment fell in the latest survey. Mark Hamrick is an economic analyst for Bankrate.com. The Labor Department says initial claims for unemployment assistance dropped by 4,000 last week to 228,000, the lowest number this month. New claims have eased from a two-year high of 265,000 in June. 
the four-week moving average of claims rose slightly. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are mixed this afternoon. Joining us now on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital and author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Michael, thank you for joining us today. Uh, markets started the trading session off on a on a strong note. You know, the markets were higher. There was a little bit of a wobble and a bit of a recovery in the last uh, 30 minutes or so. So what, what drove that wobble around 11 o'clock this morning? Well, good afternoon, Rob, and thanks for having me on. Well, uh, PCE, personal consumption expenditures, came out this morning, as did jobless claims. They were pretty much in line. So the rally in the morning, you got to question why it was happening, and it took a few hours for market participants to think about it and sell the stocks back off to even. So uh, there's really no data that's, that would be spurring a, a rally today other than it could be just you know short covering um, because it's been a, a good month for the shorts. The market's been down in August. So that would be the only reason maybe to rally here, and, and I don't think that's enough of one. So I think we'll end the day fairly mixed as we are right now. How do you interpret the PCE report from this morning? Uh, again, in line with expectations, uh, modest growth on a month-over-month basis from June into July, but that uh, that core PCE number is still uh, twice what the Fed's looking for. So, what, what kind of risks uh, are out on the horizon, even as uh, even as things meet expectations? Yeah, basically it's showing that that inflation is remaining stubbornly high. And, uh, you know, Chairman Powell has a tough job to to do to figure out, you know, if he wants to raise rates any any higher than this, because that will definitely hurt stocks and, you know, hurt asset values in general. Um, We we at MJP Capital, we believe that that the uh, inflation will remain above where the Fed wants uh, for at least the next year or two, at least the next year for sure. And, but we don't think that the Fed will do much. Uh, we think they'll actually keep rates uh, flat the rest of the year. There are some market participants that expect a quarter-point rise. Either way, that's not going to move markets too much. It, it, it becomes problematic if, if these numbers start to get hot again. They are coming down. So at least inflation is, is moderating, but it's definitely still stubbornly high, stubbornly higher than where the Fed wants it. We're talking to Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital, author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. The ADP report, the private payroll report for the month of August, uh, showed some modest uh, growth in employment. It was below expectations. And at this point, where you're looking for uh, uh, inflationary pressure in the economy, you kind of want to take the under in that situation. What should we expect tomorrow? Yeah, you know, I think it's going to come in in line and, you know, it, it's been hot uh, for the last few months, and that's been really part of the problem with, uh, you know, the bond market and, and, and rates staying so high uh, on the long, long bond. So if it comes in line, you know, we expect the market to take it in stride and, and, and rates will stay the same. But August is interesting because basically as the, as the long bond went, so did the stock market. So we had a a big sell-off in long bonds in the middle of the month, beginning of the month, 
uh, rates got as high as 4.4% on a 30-year. So when that happened, tech especially, but all stocks sold off. And now we've we've had a recovery back to 4.19 right now, I see, as it ticks uh, on the 30-year. And that's a, a level that the market can be comfortable with. But if we get some hot numbers coming in here, look for – uh, bonds to sell off and stocks to sell off as well. And we suggest investors to be a little bit lower in stock allocation and a little bit higher in cash than they normally are. And then uh, very quickly, and this may not be a question that has a, a quick answer, but we always talk about the predictive value of the stock market. But what kind of storylines can we pull out of the bond market? Well, the storyline is inflation. So it's basically the bond market is just trying to predict what the Fed policy is going to be. And and the Fed policy is going to be dependent on what inflation is. So the bond market basically is going based on what these reports, you know, uh, come in, like PCE today, jobless claims, ADP, as you mentioned. So as these reports come in, if they come in hot, you'll see the bonds sell off and then the stocks will sell off in sympathy because it puts more pressure on Chairman Powell to uh, raise rates. So watch the bond market and then actually watch the inflation reports, the jobless reports, because those will tell you what Fed policy will be going forward. Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital and author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Technology Thursday, ways to keep kids in the cyber world and make sure they stay safe. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Technology Thursday. As children spend more and more time with social media and online, they're exposed to increasing danger from criminals and predators. Let's discuss ways to help keep them safe with Adam Levin, founder of Cyber Scout and co-host of the podcast What the Hack with Adam Levin based in Nashville. Adam, thank you for joining us today. And before we talk about uh, the stranger dangers that exist online, uh, it's a question that a lot of parents ask once their children turn nine or 10, and that is, do we get them a smartphone? Do we get them a smartwatch? Do they get some type of Fitbit device? Whatever it is, it's connected to the internet, and there needs to be some uh, some cyber hygiene practices that need to go along with it. So if you're, if you're making that, uh, you're, you're, if you're debating uh, getting a smartwatch or a smartphone for your kids, or what are some things you need to know? Or what are some things they need to know? Well, I think the most important thing is you have to have a relationship with your kids that involves collaboration, cooperation, and communication, because it is a shared responsibility. You need to protect them, they need to protect themselves, and they need to protect the family. So think very carefully before your kids get Fitbit or uh, uh, smartwatches or smartphones, uh, because it could be a gateway into your family, and it could be a a situation where their lives actually get put in danger, especially in light of the fact that now we have sextortion schemes that are popping up against children all over the country. And what are some of the the most common risks that uh, uh, that that children face online with these types of uh, smart devices? And uh, what do parents need to be aware of uh, uh, with that functional relationship you talk about? What do parents need to be aware of uh, as they give these devices to their kids? I think we have to be aware of the fact that I have an 11-year-old and he he has an iPad, but we haven't gotten him an iPhone yet. 
because he's just not ready. But what you have to be aware of is there are people out there that are looking to take advantage of our children. And they'll do it in all sorts of ways, whether they try to friend them, uh, whether they pretend that they're someone that they're not. They get kids to do things that they maybe shouldn't do, like send compromising pictures, give away too much personal identifiable information, um, get involved in gaming sites, for instance, that are not safe, that the language is not appropriate, that it also could be honey traps where they're trying to get information out of kids. You need to monitor your kids' online activities. You should make sure that uh, if they're using some form of social media, that it's appropriate and that um, they, they are aware of the fact that you shouldn't be giving last names, that you shouldn't be giving addresses, that you shouldn't be giving any information that could lead back to the family. Um, you also need to be watching for indications of cyberbullying. We're talking to Adam Levin, founder of Cyber Scout, co-host of the podcast, What the Hack, based in Nashville. We're talking about uh, good cyber safety practices for your kids if you give them uh, some sort of smart device, whether it be a phone or a, or a watch or a Fitbit or some other wearable. Uh, when it comes to social media activity, I mean, one of the more popular applications that uh, kids of, of a lot of you know different age levels uh, from you know grade school and high school is Facebook Messenger Kids. And that is an application where all of the chat requests have to go through the parent's account. Um, is that enough or is that even something that you should that, that you should just restrict entirely? Well, I think that, you know, as long as you have an opportunity to monitor the online dialogue, then it's probably OK. And there are a lot of tools out there for parents to to monitor their kids, to keep track of their kids, you know, also check. Uh, the, the the browsing history and the communication history that your kids are having online. And th the most important thing is, you know, we talk about having the big conversation. Well, today, part of that big conversation is online safety and, and getting them aware of the dangers that are out there and the things that they need to do in order to make themselves more private, uh, to make themselves more aware and to make themselves more cautious, you know, in the old days, it used to be trust but verify. With kids, it has to be never trust, always question, always verify. And the second that anyone starts to ask you about personal information or anything to do with family financial information or ask you to do anything that you say to yourself, my mother would be extremely upset if I did it. These are the kinds of messages that you have to keep sort of hammering away at. Uh, because cybersecurity and best practices, they don't really come from the top down. They have to come from the bottom up. And the place you got to start is talking with your kids in the beginning and make them understand you got to use long and strong passwords. You can't just click on links. You've got to be very careful about anyone you communicate with. You've got to understand who they are. And if you have any question at all, go to your parents and ask them, this doesn't seem right, or mommy, daddy, is this right? 
Adam Levin, based in Nashville. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The Highway Loss Data Institute is out with the latest on vehicles most likely to be stolen. Let's get some of the highlights from Jeff Gilbert, CBS News automotive correspondent based in Detroit. Jeff, thank you for joining us today. And where do uh, Hyundai's Hyundai's and Kia's uh, rank on the list of uh, stolen vehicles, especially in light of uh, the, the social media challenges out there? Right, and in the light of Chicago's latest lawsuit uh, against Hyundai and Kia because of the thefts, uh, there are four Kias that are high on the list. We got the top ten and the bottom ten, so there were four Hyundai or Kias there, no Hyundais at this particular point. And on top of the list, neither brand. It was Dodge Chargers and Challengers, particularly the Hellcat, which is being stolen at an incredible rate. And then uh, the least stolen vehicles, That when I heard the list this morning, uh, there was one particular electric car that made me chuckle uh, when, when I heard that it was not a very popular target for thieves. Well, you're talking about the Tesla Model 3, Model Y. They are the least stolen vehicles. You know, they're kind of like that Maytag repairman commercial, <laughs> it seems. Thieves don't want them. But yeah, there's, there are serious reasons behind this. One would be the fact that there's already a black market infrastructure for stolen parts from internal combustion vehicles. There isn't one yet for EVs. So thieves are going after targets that can make them a lot of money. The other thing is, there's not a charging infrastructure for thieves. That makes it less valuable if they've got to go to a public charger that may realize that this vehicle is stolen. So those kinds of things, you know, put put EVs in a good place as far as vehicles that won't be stolen. And second, uh, if if a car thief is anything like I was when I got behind the wheel of a Tesla for the first time, chances are they're just going to be baffled by what they see. Yeah, that that is another issue. You know, there are a lot of stories you hear about a car thief stealing a vehicle with a manual transmission, and they can't drive it. So it could very well be the same thing with a Tesla, where all the controls are on a center computer screen. What is it about the uh, the, the the Dodge muscle cars that make them so attractive for thieves? Just because they look cool and people want them. They look cool. People want them. There is an international black market. The the people who did this study tell me that some of these vehicles are actually being stolen and shipped to other countries. So these are very valuable vehicles. They are very popular with a lot of people, including people who are willing to buy them from thieves. Jeff Gilbert, CBS News Automotive Correspondent based in Detroit. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. You will find past programs and later today a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com. And the Odyssey app. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.
Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need a change of pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. Nerd Wallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway. Maybe somewhere tropical? Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app.